at this time. Yes! Oh, wow. It's just in time again at the PGA Championship. Now on the team, your host from Anaheim, California, Trent Rush. When you hear the bagpipes, you know it is noon on a Monday, and we are glad to be with you here today. So much going on in the world of golf. I know the Masters a couple weeks behind us. No Harbor Town may not have been the world's greatest week in the history of the PGA Tour. We'll still talk about what we saw at Zurich, though it wasn't much. I'll tell you what we saw in Australia was mighty interesting. Ironically, on the week that the PGA Tour does their team event, it was the team event at Adelaide in Australia for Liv. That was maybe their best week ever. We'll talk about that. I watched a little bit of it. want to share some of my thoughts. I know I've been pretty critical of Liv here on this show. I, everybody has, right? And uh, I'll still... Uh, I, I, I will say this. I gave it an honest chance watching it uh, on the CW this weekend. Talk a little bit about that. There's a brand new golf course coming to the West Coast. Oh, my goodness. Am I excited about what is on the way at Rodeo Dunes in Colorado. We'll talk about the new Kaiser Experiment, uh, which we're uh, looking forward to breaking down coming up uh, today. Also, Kevin Gagax of the SCGA is going to talk all about what is happening in Southern California as it pertains to the U.S. Open. Yes, the U.S. Open coming to L.A. Country Club. Colin Morikawa has been a huge part of it. Uh, We'll hear a little bit from Kevin about what some of the involvement has been like and just what's happening uh, there with the SCGA and the USGA and L.A. Country Club and so many people working for this U.S. Open, the first U.S. Open in Los Angeles in 75 years. For this group, the impact that it's going to make on Southern California golf. And I think it's a big deal because Southern California is a golf-starved region. You're saying, wait a minute, there's a million golf courses. Yeah, but there's 10 million people trying to play on those million golf courses. And it's tough to get tee times. You guys know that. I know that. Whether you're a country club player or whether you're a public golfer, whatever it is. It's tough to get tee times. And uh, even as tough as it is sometimes to get out of the house, uh, you know, when you're trying to figure out where you're going to play and, and how that's going to happen, well, um, you know, for, for some people, in, in, it depends where you are, but there are a lot of opportunities for golf in Los Angeles especially where the SCGA is working to do a better job of, of providing opportunities, uh, especially for young people, to get out there and play. And I think that's a really cool thing. Kevin Gagak's going to join us a little bit later on to talk about that. Uh, also, uh, a crazy story on the Corn Ferry Tour, which we're going to share a little bit later on. Uh, I do want to start today off discussing what we saw at Adelaide in uh, Australia. Yes, we all saw that Chase Kepka hit the hole-in-one on their version of the party hole, their version of 16 at Phoenix. And look, it was it was wild. It was beer cans flying, alcohol spraying everywhere. It was a, a true party scene. Here's the deal with what I saw on Live. And I'm going to be honest. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to – this is – unbiased this is just i sat down and i said you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna watch this tournament totally open mind and just take it in for what it is all right when i'm watching live there's a couple of things that come to mind right away 
first of all, it's very obvious they're having a good time. And it was a very good atmosphere there. There were a lot of people there. There was a lot of excitement. You know, you got the guys. It's, it's definitely casual, right? Golf, but louder. It was that. Now, it wasn't quite as loud as what they were trying to make you think with all the graphics on TV. And they would have like a noise meter and it would go up to, to jet engine, I think was, was the loudest one. And, you know, Patrick, I, I saw Patrick Reed on the tee in the second round. And Patrick Reed is, you know, they're, 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 even even in Australia, they're not the biggest Patrick Reed fans in the world. And he's like trying to pump up the crowd, and yeah, they're like, they're like golf clapping for him, like you know they didn't really want to. You know, Harold Varnold is out there dancing, and you know it, it's not the the best dancing you've ever seen. But Harold Varnold was out there, you're shaking it, trying to get the crowd excited. They're kind of you know laughing at him. It's kind of goofy. He ends up hitting it in the left bunker. You know, it just – it was one of those events. I mean, Chase Kepka, I mean, they went nuts on the ace. And that that was a that was a group. It was like a powder keg. They were ready to explode. And all someone had to do was light a match, and Chase Kepka did that. And you know what? It was fun. It was fun watching that. It was fun seeing the excitement. And I'll tell you this. I am way more comfortable with that crazy level of just wild golf – on the live tour than I am on the PGA tour. I, I I'll be honest. I've been a little bit of a stickler. Um, I am not the biggest fan of 16 at the waste management. And I, I know that people are gonna be like, Oh, come on. Like, you know, get off your lawn, old man. I'm, I'm just not, that's, that's not my scene. Okay. It looks really fun. It looks, you know, back in college, I would have loved it. I would have loved it. And now I'm, I'm not so sure. And I'm glad, I'm glad it happens. I'm also glad it happens once on the PGA Tour. But, it, you know, for this lifting, I'm sure they would love to have that on every hole. Uh, they'd love to have that every single week, I'm sure. I think a, a couple of things. One, I do think that Liv has more staying power than I realized. I thought before that it's just backed by so much money that it just doesn't matter. They're going to bully their way through. And that still may be the case. But I do think that there is actually some value to the product. There are people that are genuinely interested and wanting to watch this. I'm not really one of them. The closest comparison I could make for me in as a, as a sports fan, as somebody that has watched you know everything through the years, this felt like to me, remember they would play that flag football game on Waikiki Beach before the Pro Bowl at Aloha Stadium in Hawaii. Remember they used to do the Pro Bowl in Hawaii and they would do that flag football game on the beach? That's what Liv is to me. If the PGA Tour is the NFL, Liv is the flag football game on the, the Saturday before the Pro Bowl where you're getting... Some of the stars, not the the biggest stars, you're getting a couple to participate. There's enough name recognition for you to be involved and maybe want to see those guys have some fun out there. It's an enjoyable viewing experience in some respects because it's kind of, it's fun watching other people have fun, but it means nothing. The res- I, I couldn't I, I couldn't tell you one score of the flag football game before the Pro Bowl ever. 
I could I, I don't I don't even recall you know a pass for a touch I don't know I it, it, nothing registered because it didn't matter and what happens on the live circuit doesn't matter that said I can understand that it's entertaining it is an entertaining product and as I'm watching it I know they're trying to do something different on the broadcast. I know that they're trying to make the viewing experience a little bit different. You know what it felt like to me watching it too? Have you ever been, you know, you're you're at a, a sports bar, and this happens a lot, a lot more here on the West Coast than it does when you're on the East Coast because on the East Coast, even late at night, you still have the West Coast games airing on the TVs. You know, it's it's midnight. All the games are over. You got Sports Center rerunning on one of the TVs, and then on another TV, it's just you know surfing maybe or something else where you're just seeing a bunch of highlights in a row. I felt like watching Live. I was watching surfing on a bar where the sound isn't on, and you're looking up and you're like, "Oh man, that's a huge wave! Oh, that's pretty cool!" But you have no context. You, you don't. I mean, maybe you can see the graphic. Maybe you can see who's hitting or, or who's on the board and what wave it is. And you're trying to figure out, "Oh, where are they?" By looking at some of the natural shots, and you're not really watching it, but it's on, and it might, you know, something might happen that catches your eye. That's live. That's live. There's no context to anything. You're. you're the amount of golf shots you see, you see a ton of golf shots, and that is not where I have any kind of issue at all. I, I'm glad you got to see a ton of golf, but it was like shot, 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 shot. No context. You have the leaderboard on the left, which is kind of a mess. It, it's it's that F1 style, and if you're, you're constantly, you know, I was looking at that the whole time trying to figure out what was going on. It was taking so much of my attention. It was going towards the graphic. Uh, it was hard to watch what necessarily was on the screen. And, you know, they were doing behind-the-scenes stuff with different players. And, you know, it, you know, I, I saw um, – who was it? it? Was Leishman had a beer that they, they were drinking out there? Like, oh, okay, like it was. You know, they were trying to tell fun backstories. It felt very infomercial. What I didn't like about it either was it genuinely did look like the, everyone was out there was having fun. It genuinely looked like it was an enjoyable experience, and, and but everything still just felt so forced. And in Australia. It's very clear they are more passionate there than anything we saw, you know, on a on a Muni in Orlando, right? And this live circuit might have staying power internationally, especially when you get, you know, when, when Cam Smith is a driving force with Greg Norman, I mean it would make sense that Australia would be where Live would have their best week. So I can understand why the Aussies might be more into it. You know, Leishman being another one. I can understand that a little bit more. And maybe that's where the focus needs to be. I do think that there has been a shift in the messaging from Norman about, you know, before it was, you know, it, it just kind of felt like it was it was PGA and Liv, it was, and it was a true war here. It was golf civil war, and Liv was trying to poach PGA Tour players and successfully did. Now it feels like, all right, the PGA Tour is the real golf tour. 
But this is the fun little sideshow. It's the Harlem Globetrotters. It's it's not the NBA. It's but you're gonna go see a, a fun pickup basketball game, and you know there's a couple of stars you might recognize, and they're having a good time. It's kind of fun. You know what? It's not a big week in the NBA, or it's the off season. I'll go watch those guys. That's what it is, and it's not necessarily a bad thing for golf. It's just not an even playing field, and we all know Brooks Kepka can still go out and win a major. There's no denying what Brooks Kepka could end up doing. Cam Smith, to me, could still go out and win a major. He's not playing great golf right now, but I feel like Cam Smith, we know he has it in him to be a top-end player. So there's a couple of guys. I don't know that Dustin Johnson ever gets it back. We saw Phil was really good at Augusta, but I think Augusta did a couple of things. I think, one, it reminded us that Brooks is still a factor. That means something. Mickelson can still be a factor. And and credit to Phil, I thought he handled Augusta perfect because he did it quietly. He quietly went out there and just put up a super low number on Sunday to finish in the quietest second of all time. He didn't have to say anything to get the attention. He let his golf do the talking, which is uncharacteristic of Phil. But by doing that, I think everybody realized, wait a minute, maybe these guys on live didn't just all of a sudden forget how to play golf. So when I'm watching this week, I'm watching in the lens of it does feel like an exhibition. It, it's not real. There are no stakes. I had no idea what the context of the tournament was. Even though there was a leaderboard, there was a team game. I was seeing so many clips. I I never understood the concept of the the team part. I mean, I get the concept. I, I never understood why it was necessary because the broadcast really wasn't following the team competition. The broadcast was all individually focused, but the graphic was all team focused. It felt weird. That kind of stuff, I I wasn't into. I, I I don't I don't know the team names. I don't care to know the team names. It doesn't matter to me. But what I saw was I saw a billion golf shots with no context. It was like watching Sports Center and never seeing the final score. Like you, you never know. You don't know what's going on. You're just seeing like here's a dunk and a touchdown and a home run and it's just back to back to back and it's just whatever. And it's like oh wow that's cool. Again, it's like if you're at a bar and it's on the screen and you look up, oh, wow, did you see this guy did that? Oh, cool. That That's what it was. Nothing wrong with it. I actually have a more favorable view of live today, certainly, than I did before I watched it. So overall, you know, they're calling this a really successful week for live. I, I can understand why many people would feel that way because I, I, I was – I was mildly entertained. I wasn't overly interested, I don't think. I, I still don't think it's anywhere close to a real golf tournament. I don't think they should be getting official World Golf rankings points for this. But I still think that Brooks Kepka could go in the U.S. Open. You know what I mean? Like that's That was kind of my takeaway um, just from the, the whole deal. But it was it was a disjointed broadcast for sure. Bouncing all over the place, but it was fun. And if you're into exhibitions, if you're into the sideshows, if you're into that, I, I think I might watch it again if there's nothing going on. And and the the irony too, and I said this at the top, the irony is this is the week the PGA had their team event. I'll tell you this: the leaderboard at the PGA event was not as good as the leaderboard at the Live event, with Nick Hardy and Davis Riley 
winning at Zurich to edge out Adam Hadwin and Nick Taylor by two shots. Oh, my goodness. Hey, we root for Bo Hostler on this show, Southern California guy, Orange County, Santa Margarita High School. He finished three shots back with his teammate, Wyndham Clark, Colorado native. I mean, that, that's your that, that's your top three. The reigning champs, Xander Shoffley and Patrick Cantley, 26 under. Here, Here's the problem here. And then you go into, I'm just, just looking at the leaderboard, Keith Mitchell, Sunjay M, 6th. Siwoo Kim and Tom Kim, seventh. Like, of that list, guys that I'm going to go want to see, I'm, I'm, I'm literally, I'm, I'm scrolling through the list right now of golfers that I'm, like, going to make sure I am on the first tee to go watch them hit it. Tom Kim is one. I I, I give Tom Kim credit. Xander Shoffley is a very good player. He doesn't, he doesn't suck me in. I'm not emotionally invested with Xander. Patrick Cantley, same deal. Um, and there's been a, you know, Patrick's gotten a lot of heat over the last couple of weeks for his slow play, uh, you know, deservedly so, quite honest with you. But, you know, I, I you know, Patrick Cantley, as as talented of a player as he is, he, he's not one that you rush the golf course to go watch him. That that would be the marquee group. Like, Shoffley Cantley was, was the marquee group. They, they ended up finishing fourth. But... I'm I'm looking at the leaderboard now, and I'm just kind of scrolling on the weekend who I, I cared about. Tom Kim, I pay to see. I pay to see Tom Kim. He's really really fun. I I go out of my way. How about uh, the uh, the SoCal Ams? The guys Justin Suh and Sahith Thagala. I, I say neither one are Ams anymore, but they were like highly touted amateur players. You know, Suh from USC, Thagala from Pepperdine. That group finishes T23. I, okay, I like that group. I like Seth Thagala. I'm, I'm into that. But if I'm looking at the leaderboard and Tom and Siwoo Kim with Seth Thagala and Shoffley Cantley, if those are the three groups that I'm supposed to be tuning in for and two of the three were non-factors, that's not a great list. And I think, you know, look, the, most of the stars didn't participate. Even the stars that did, I thought, you know, they're having it's a team game. They were having fun for sure. Like, I was really excited. I wanted to watch Homa Morikawa. That that was a fun group. If, if Homa and Morikawa had played well, had been in the mix, that would have been awesome. That would have been absolutely amazing to go watch those two guys. I would have been all in on that, but... Um, they ended up not making the cut. Bummer, because that would have been an interesting. Uh, that would have been an interesting group right there. The, the L.A. group, all L.A. So L.A. taking shots at Cantlay and uh, Shoffley for being too Long Beach and too San Diego. I don't know how we're. You know, this show's based in Orange County. I mean, I don't know if Max Oma and, and Colin Morikawa would be, even be okay with us as we broadcast from right field at Angel Stadium here on AM830. I don't know how those guys would feel about us, but I will tell you, uh, well, I actually do kind of know how Max Oma feels about us because I talked to him last year at Riv, and I was holding up my microphone, which has the Angels logo on it, and he goes, come on, man, I, I'm a Dodgers guy. And then in the middle of our interview, Mookie Betts walks up. So when I'm talking with Max Oma and Mookie all of a sudden like approaches him, I could not have been dumped faster for Mookie Betts. And I love I love Max. Max is great. 
But Max and I, I when when Max, I think, wasn't totally sure he wanted to talk to me anyway, being a diehard Dodgers fan. I'm not sure how much he wanted to talk to me in the first place. But as soon as Mookie Betts walked up, I was toast. Absolute chop liver. <laughs> and it made it, you know, like the, Max, Max was great. We aired that on this show, by the way. It was fun. But, but like Max Alma, Colin Morikawa, that group I tune into. Um, I also wanted to watch the John Daly, David Duvall train wreck. Alternate shot 83 on Friday. Oh, my gosh. Okay, this this is a this is as Trent of a scorecard as I've ever seen. So, bogey first, bogey the second, a par on three, double four, bogey five, double six, par par, double nine. That, my friends, is a forty-five on the front nine. Backed up birdie ten. Way to bounce back, fellas. Par, par, par. A birdie and three pars in a row. You're like, all right, we got our groove back. Let's go. And double on 14. Par the next three. Finish with a bogey on the 18th to wrap up with an 83 in that uh, alternate shot. Actually, I would have taken an 83 out there. I've been fine with that. I, actually, I, I take that back. I think I would have been disappointed. Zurich looked so – like it, 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 that course was set up. I don't know that I would have been happy with an 83. And uh, John Daly and David Duvall, um, as uh, interesting as they might have been to watch, that was that was watching a train wreck. I should have, you know what? Looking back on it, I should have tuned into that. I should have watched that. Um, but anyways, uh, meanwhile, the women played a serious event, and, and this was awesome. Uh, Lillian Vu ends up winning the Chevron in a playoff. I'll be honest, I'm a little salty about the Chevron being in Houston when for all those years it was out uh, here in Southern California, out in the Coachella Valley at Mission Hills. And uh, But uh, the Vietnam native Lillian Vu ends up winning. Boy, Nellie Corda, you're kind of pulling for her on Sunday, just misses the playoff. Now, 24 years old, look, there's no doubt Nellie Corda is – Women's golf's biggest star. It's her second top three finish in the Chevron. Doesn't have a win yet. Did win the 2021 Women's PGA. That her uh, lone major championship. LPGA comes to L.A. this week. The I Am Eagle L.A. Championship presented by Plas Pro. Say that three times fast. They're at Wilshire Country Club this week. I love Wilshire Country Club. Wilshire is, is such a great place. I'm trying to think of a comp for Wilshire. It's just it's just a peaceful walk. The architecture uh, is really cool. Um, I, I just think Wilshire Country Club is one of those places that you go and you're just instantly removed from thinking that you're in downtown LA, except for when you look up on 17 and, and then you can see oh, some of the big buildings out there in the distance, just kind of iconic. I mean, this was Norman Macbeth didn't make a whole lot of golf courses, but he made Wilshire Country Club, and uh, you know that was that was just. I, I just think it's an all timer. I, I think Norman Macbeth's uh, Wilshire Country Club is just just a beautiful place to go play golf. You know, the, the women play there every year. Um, I, I'm, I'm glad they do, and because I, I'm glad they do because Wilshire really is. I, I think you know in L.A. you got the big three. Especially, I mean, three get that get the most attention for sure. When you're talking about Riviera, L.A. Country Club, Bel Air gets a ton of attention. Wilshire is is I think maybe more my style. It's not as 
You know, it's it's not as big boy. It's just kind of it, it it's it's a neighborhood, but it's just really great golf design. Just a really fun golf course. It it has so many of those golden age um, elements to it. It's going to be a really cool spot. Uh, so looking forward to Wilshire Country Club this week. Of course, the U.S. Open coming through L.A. Country Club this summer. We've already been at Riviera. It's been a, just an awesome year for L.A. golf for sure. And I'm glad that the USGA is starting to recognize uh, how good a golf Southern California is. Maybe it's not them so much recognizing it as some of these L.A. golf courses making themselves available for uh you know golf out here on the west coast you know because i i I do think that there just traditionally has been a bit of an inherent bias in favor of what you see on the east coast but like this year's a really good year on the west coast you have the u.s open at la you have the u.s women's open at pebble come out of mid-july that's going to be outstanding seeing that i mean that's that's really cool but just kind of looking down the road at some other big events um that are coming just to the west coast like the u.s senior women's open is going to be at troon this year 2024 i don't think there's a ton out here 24 is maybe not the greatest year for socal golf 25 will be 2025 is gonna be a big year you got the u.s women's am at banded dunes uh senior women's am at, at san diego country club Walker Cup, Cypress Point. I mean, just I mean, that's pretty good. U.S. Senior Open is going to be at the Broadmoor in Colorado Springs. I don't know if that counts as West Coast, but you know, we'll claim it. Anything west of the Rockies, I guess, in the Rockies counts. Riviera is going to host the U.S. Women's Open in 2026. I mean, that's how do you get much better than that? Curtis Cup will be at Bel Air that year. By the way, I, I know I kind of sound like I just brushed off Cyprus being there in 2025. Um, you, you better believe that this show is going to do everything it can to go cover that Walker Cup. U.S. Open comes back to Pebble Beach in uh, 2027. So mark your calendars now. 2028, Bandon Dunes is getting a Walker Cup. So you, you just kind of go down the line and look at all the the major events that are coming to the West Coast. It's really cool, and I'm I'm glad that – you know, L.A. Country Club is is getting back in the mix a little bit more. Riviera is going to be in the women's major mix for a U.S. Open. Bel Air getting a big-time event. Like, that's really encouraging to see that. And I think that it's great for golf in Southern California, all these events uh, coming this way. Of course, Bandon Dunes being at the forefront of so much of this, which does take us to the new Mike Kaiser experience that is coming 2025 announced last week rodeo dunes is on its way oh my am i excited about this mike kaiser's sons michael and chris are at the forefront of leading this project there's enough room and again it's about 25 30 minutes uh kind of northeast of the denver airport in Rogan, colorado 2,000 acres of ranch land i mean it is just spectacular views from some of the pictures you have the rocky mountain backdrop beautiful terrain they're gonna have some himalayan style holes and who else but core crenshaw to build the first golf course with the second course being built by their longtime shaper in jim craig this is the kind of project that we will be following very closely on this show i am a longtime fan 
of the Bandon Resort. I think that when you think about different eras in golf and designers, there have been you know great architects through the years that have had a you know from from McKenzie and maybe before that George Thomas you know build these L.A. courses even though he doesn't quite get the same recognition as like a A.W. Tillinghouse would get and you know you, you just kind of go through the line and. You know, how many Pete Dye courses do we see in the, the Pete Dye impact? And and now you're starting to see new golf courses being built. And Core Crenshaw and Gil Hands, you know, Tom Doak, you know, being in the mix in so many of these. And, and, and at Bandon, Mike Kaiser, who's hiring so many of these guys and building, you know, the modern golf architecture, the naturalist golf architecture, I just feel like, this era of golf course design is impacted more by Mike Kaiser than anyone else. And he has been the one, you know, that has basically set the tone, set the bar for what golf courses look like here in 2023 and, you know, and have really for the last 20 years, quite frankly, because what they've done at Bandon, I think, has impacted so many other places and I, I just feel like uh, that is a significant impact in the game of golf, uh, what Mike Kaiser has brought and his sons, Michael and Chris Kaiser, running the family business at Rodeo Dunes. It's going to be very cool. I can't wait to talk architecture with I, – I, we're going to try to get either Michael or Chris on this show at some point um, because I, I just think that what they're doing at Rodeo Dunes – is going to be phenomenal. It's not going to be on the coast, but the terrain looks amazing. It's on a sand site out there, which, you know, provides the best chance for Linksy Golf. Pretty unique area out there. I mean, they took an old ranch and turning it into just what should be a spectacularly beautiful golf course. And I think they got the right designer. If I got to, you know, everybody's dream is like to have their own golf course, right? Like who doesn't dream of wanting to go and design their own golf course. And if you could pick a a design firm for me, Core Crenshaw would be the the very first phone call I would make. And, um, you know, I, I guess, uh, my, my thought would align with how Mike Geyser feels too. Um, Bandon Trails remains, I don't know if it's my all-time favorite course, but it very well could be. And that's, uh, you know, that's their design. I just, really, really great. Um, I like these Sheep Ranch, too, up there at Bandon Dunes. And that's another Crook Crenshaw course. So, Crook Crenshaw putting together Rodeo Dunes. Uh, I already gave a phone call asking for a tee time. Uh, the course hasn't uh, even been laid out yet, but um, they're saying 2025 is when it's going to happen. And uh, there's no question I would like to get a uh, tee time as soon as possible. Speaking of tee times, there's a bunch of U.S. Open qualifying going on today. Nine sites to try to compete at L.A. Country Club in the U.S. Open later this week. La Parisma is going to be uh, one of those sites. That's Thursday, 90 players for five spots in the first round of local qualifying. Uh, next week, Royal Tribuco has a site, 84 players for five spots. Um, it's just uh, kind of fun to follow the local qualifying for the U.S. Open, and all that goes along with that. We're going to take a timeout when we come back. Speaking of the U.S. Open, we're going to bring on Kevin Gagax, the executive director of the SCGA Junior Golf Foundation. They are doing just phenomenal work out there. Excited to have Kevin on. He will be with us right after this. My name is Trent Rush. This is On the Links 
on Angels Radio, AM 830. Now on the team, your host from Anaheim, California, Trent Rush. Back on the links. Oh, my gosh, this is exciting. We got the U.S. Open coming to Southern California. Can't wait for that. There's a lot of cool projects that come along with that as well. And that's why we got Kevin Gigax joining us now, a huge part of all the stuff happening in terms of the buildup and is so involved as well in the youth movement that's here. Kevin's the executive director of the SCGA Junior Golf Foundation. He's with us right now here on the links on AM830. Kevin, first of all, thanks for the time. And man, I got to imagine this is a pretty exciting time for you with the U.S. Open right around the corner. Absolutely. I mean, U.S. Open coming to L.A. for the first time in 75 years. Uh, can't wait. It's going to be really exciting, and uh, thanks again for having me on. I, I'm gonna, I got a bunch of questions, especially about the four youth campaign that you guys have going here. But before we get into any of that, just want to get a little understanding of your, your background and your passion as somebody that is a teacher. And you know, there's a lot of people that you know get leadership positions and whatnot, and they oversee a lot. I know you like to get kind of your, your boots in the ground, and you spend time actually coaching these kids and helping them out. Um, where does some of that passion come from? Oh, that's a good question, Trent. Well, I think it starts with, I didn't really think I had access to the game of golf growing up. I didn't play golf growing up. And uh, once I discovered it and realized that it really is a sport that's open to everyone and anyone can play, uh, I really wanted to get involved in ensuring kids from all walks of life have those same opportunities and get the exposure to the game in case that it's something that, that they want to play and, and like as much as I do. That's that's awesome. Well, Kevin, where'd you, where do you uh, grow up? Southern California guy, or are you from somewhere else? <laughs> I grew up in Colorado Springs. Uh, didn't play a lick of golf, but uh, I've been here now almost 17 years, and uh, I like to say I'm an adopted Angelino. Yeah, well, yeah, you're adopted for sure, and uh, boy, what a great place here in, in Southern California. Just the, the golf scene, as you know, is spectacular. You get the kids uh, started early, which I, I know is a big part of what you do with the SCGA and the Junior Golf Foundation. So um, what can you tell us about the foundation, uh, how to get started, and, and what kind of a role do you play in that? So my role is Executive Director of the Junior Golf Foundation, and what we are trying to do we're really thinking deeply about how can golf serve all youth populations? What will it take? What are the, we think of it as pathway trends. So what are the various pathways a kid might take in the game? How do they get exposed to the game? How do they start playing the game, learning the game? And then if they like it, how do they stay in it? Do they play high school golf? Do they play college golf? Do they play in PGA Junior Golf League? So we're trying to think about all the various paths exist and then what are the resources in the community that we can bring to ensure kids in every neighborhood might have that opportunity, might have the various opportunities that, that might exist. And I know part of that as well, I think we, we might as well touch on this now of what you guys are doing as far as the, the renovation of Maggie Hathaway and getting Gil Hands involved in that. Uh, I, now I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get up there and uh, go play, taking over just a, a pretty, you know, a, a course that could use a little bit of help in a neighborhood to be able to expose more young people to this game. What was some of the genesis behind that? It goes, you know, it goes back quite a ways. I mean, you know, when we're thinking about junior golf, one of the things that's most critical is, are there facilities that are junior-friendly where kids, uh, and not just kids, families, seniors, lots of populations, but especially kids, where they can get involved in the game and have a safe, fun place to play. 
right? And there's only so many of those facilities. There's not a lot. They don't financially generally perform as well as regulation 18-hole courses. Um, but those are critical parts of the infrastructure of golf. And so we are targeting how do we serve and participate and be involved in those type of facilities to bring more kids into golf. And through that, you know, through that lens, when we started talking to L.A. Country Club and they said, you know, a critical part of us hosting the U.S. Open is the give back, the community impact. What does this U.S. Open do for the communities in Southern California and the community where we're hosting in Los Angeles? And the more we had conversations, uh, the more Maggie came to the forefront. So Southwest L.A. County is actually, by the National Golf Foundation's definition, the most golf-starved region in the country, the most golfers with the fewest golf holes available. And, of course, that trickles down to junior golf. I mean, if, if there's no golf holes for all golfers, that affects the ability for juniors to get in and play the game. And then when you start looking around, you look at Maggie Hathaway Golf Course. It's in a county park. It's in the middle of L.A., and it's so perfect for juniors. It just needs revitalization. So the leadership at L.A. Country Club, once they saw the facility and got excited about it and met the, met the various groups that are involved there, the Southern Area Youth Program, which operates the facility, American Golf, which runs the facility, um, they got really excited. They said, this is an area that should be revitalized. And they approached Gil, and Gil said, I'd be thrilled to be involved and in, in to, to help golf not only stay but thrive in that community. So it's been a lot of people thinking about it for a long time and uh, really excited about the opportunities that are going to come out of that. Uh, yeah, that's fantastic. Well, you don't have to tell me about uh, this being a golf-starved area with the, the number of players and the holes available. I'm a public golf guy, so i got to try to make tee times, and uh, you better be on that these days for sure. Uh, pretty cool that you guys are doing that. It, it's amazing to me, Kevin, hearing about the connection of L.A. Country Club and the SCGA and how the USGA is all involved in this. So um, the campaign for youth, the, the 2023 U.S. Open Community Legacy, you talk about wanting to have an impact with this U.S. Open coming to Los Angeles Country Club. I know you guys have raised a ton of money. Uh, what can you tell us just about this foundation in, in general and, and what you guys are hoping to accomplish here beyond just the, the restoration we talked about? a moment ago sure so four youth came together as really I, I will give all credit to the leadership at la country club I, I already mentioned but they said the u.s open needs to be the best championship and it needs to leave a legacy for the communities that we hosted it's really their vision the u.s the usga has been a, a very um, charitable organization but they've never done anything at this level and la country club brought us along about the usga along to say we want to make a massive impact, and that is renovating Maggie Hathaway, but, you know, having the facility is one part of the puzzle. Uh, I think the other big piece of the puzzle is how you provide programs and services for kids from all walks of life um, to really not just be exposed to the game, but really have opportunities in the game. I'm sure you know as a golfer, um, when someone plays the game and can connect and network and go out to different golf courses, and when it's kids, have role models that can teach them about integrity and self-confidence. And my favorite, my favorite thing we teach is emotional regulation, right? You hit the ball in the water, uh, how do you react? Do you, do you make triple or do you come back, get it up and down and make a, a bogey, right? So um, how do we do that? And what we think the biggest part of that is is access and opportunity. And the biggest part of that is having role models to play the game. So 
um, a large part of the campaign for me, the biggest and most important part for me is how do we get more golf coaches trained in positive youth development, working in more golf communities where uh, kids maybe don't currently have the opportunities to play. I'm so glad you talked about that. I mean, that's something that we discuss on this show all the time is just how you react and the life lessons that come from playing golf. And and you mentioned the role role models kind of on the the, the micro level of getting really involved, you know, hands-on. But at the same time, from uh, the macro level, I don't know that you can have anybody better uh, in Colin Morikawa, who, by the way, played incredibly well the 2017 Walker Cup at L.A. Country Club. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, how he does at the U.S. Open as uh, you guys get Colin Morikawa as the honorary chair of this campaign. Uh, What's the relationship like with Colin and, and maybe where did some of that come from? Sure. I mean, Colin has been incredible. I've had a chance to meet with him a couple of times and just hear about his passion for um, Los Angeles for Southern California and for junior golf. And we, you're right, we couldn't be more lucky to have someone, uh, to have Colin specifically, um, just an amazing role model for the game and for all of us. Um, really, we think of, you know, for everything we do, we think of it being community based, right? Golf is just a bunch of communities that get together and share, uh, share the game, share food, uh, have fun together. And um, so really calling came to us through uh, Andrew Kipper is his agent. Andrew is out here in L.A. He's an SCGA member. Uh, and they did the Friends of Golf event, which is a big fundraiser tournament at Bel Air. And just kind of that trickle-down that trickle down network of like, hey, Colin, saw you were really supporting junior golf through Friends of Golf. Uh, we're doing this campaign, and maybe it would align with what you care about, and you're from here. Would you consider it? And those guys, Colin and his agent, Andrew, are, are just all in. They couldn't be doing more for us. Um, it is not just using his name. He is out there raising money. He's connecting with our kids. Uh, we're just so grateful to have him involved. The other thing about having Colin involved, there's some incredible synchronicity with how we played at the Walker Cup, as you mentioned. Um, the Walker Cup, we were actually was just left public, but we were the charitable beneficiary, and it, it really expanded our program uh, quite a bit when when LA Country Club supported us via the Walker Cup, and so having Colin, who played so well in that, who's from Southern California, uh, being engaged in that and what that did to our program in 2017, and now seeing that we're going to accelerate so much further along, and having Colin and LA Country Club once again uh, being catalysts for our work, it's, it's been really fun. Kevin Gagax is the executive director of the SCGA Junior Golf Foundation, uh, helping a big part of what goes on here in this initiative with the U.S. Open coming to Southern California, coming to L.A. Country Club, uh, part of the Four Youth 2023 U.S. Open Community Legacy. I know that you guys have raised a ton of money for this, and I know that it's also just the tip of the iceberg for what you guys are hoping. $8 million so far. Steve Ballmer has kicked in a cool mill. So has the Cronky family. Uh, pretty remarkable to get those kind of uh, donations. Now, I'm telling you, I'm sure there's some listeners out there that would love to get involved. Maybe they don't have a million dollars to give, but they want to get involved somehow. What are some ways that maybe they can do that? There's a lot of ways to be involved, and it's not just giving money. I mean, obviously, that's a huge part of the campaign to uh, revitalize the golf course. Um, but foryouth.org is where we're pointing all people that are interested want to learn more. Ton of information on there. Hear from Colin. Uh, get to know us. 
Uh, and there's also opportunity to just come out. We have, we're having virtual meetings where we tell more about the campaign, what you can do, how you can be involved. I mean, more than as much as giving is being an advocate and telling others, hey, we're doing this incredible work. You should be involved. And that might be giving money, but that also might be coming out and volunteering. It might be helping us secure uh, opportunities for our kids. It might be educational opportunities for our kids. So, you know, in, in our tent, if you will, there's room for everybody. We want to use the power and network of golfing uh, to connect as many resources possible to accelerate the game and more than anything, accelerate uh, the opportunities for kids to thrive in the game. Absolutely love it, Kevin. Really appreciate the time. Before you go, there is one more thing I have to ask. So I, I've been invited to U.S. Open Media Day. I'm going to be out there at L.A. Country Club seeing it for the first time. What kind of advice maybe can you give me about trying to get around LACC? I don't, I don't know your game, Trent, but let me tell you, it is going to be a test of golf. Those, I don't know if you played it before, but the greens are extraordinarily challenging. Uh, just, you know, as someone that's observed a little bit, the rough is getting longer and longer. The fairways are getting tighter and tighter. Um, so one piece of advice is do not be above the hole on the putting greens. You better be below the hole if you want to have a chance to two putt. <laughs> Love that, and I am. I will take a two. I'll take thirty six putts. Absolutely, I think that would. I can I'd try to get out of there and survive. I'd be good with that. Hey, Kevin, thanks again. Seriously, best of luck on the campaign, and uh, looking forward to checking in again soon. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. They do such great work at the SCGA. Yes, for junior golf, absolutely. But uh, for your game as well. By the way, if you don't have a handicap, what's the matter with you? Go get your gin. Uh, it's important to go do that. What's it? Sixty bucks at a, you know with the membership. It's not very expensive um, when you can uh, just have a place to track all your scores. Uh, I'm going to be going with some of my family. We're going uh, to Scotland coming up uh, this uh, this fall, and you need to have your official handicap. Well, you can do that. Uh, by, you know, go getting registered through the SCGA, the gin, not only to get your handicap, uh, but uh, also, you know, there's a lot of other offers that come along with this. Uh, you get, you know, affiliated with the club and a lot of discounts and a lot of other things uh, that come, including a, a subscription to Four Magazine, uh, which is all part of the uh, experience there with the SCGA. Really cool. Stay connected, stay involved in everything that's going on uh, in golf. Definitely encourage that uh, in a big way. So uh, go get your handicap now, scga.org is where you can go uh, check all of that out just uh i got my handicap i hadn't i played for the first time in four months uh just this past week i i must tell you uh when you play for the first time in four months whatever that handicap number is you don't want to be uh you just don't want to be held to that standard just i'll tell you that right now so uh we got to work i'm working on getting the handicap up a little bit uh to uh level out where I, my game actually is today, but you can't sandbag either. I mean, you got to stay honest about it, right? And, and my handicap is what it is right now, and it is, it is killing me. Uh, so uh, there will be uh, no uh, there will be no friendly wagering going on these days uh, with me uh, on a golf course if we're playing anytime soon. But thanks again to Kevin uh, for the time there. Okay, crazy story on the Corn Ferry Tour. You got to hear it to believe it. I'll share it when we come back. I'm Trent Rush. This. On the links on Angels Radio, AM 830. Now on the team, your host from Anaheim, California. 
Trent Rush. Back on the links, Trent Rush with you here as uh, we got a little golf to talk about here. Still, final segment of our show is great having Kevin Gagax join us from the um, SCGA Junior Golf Foundation, all the great work they are doing over there. He's been a lot of time talking about all the, the things happening in golf. And, you know, you had a major on the LPGA, you had a, a team event on the PGA Tour, live with their best week ever. Where we close our show today is on the Corn Ferry Tour, where this is about as strange and, gosh, got to be so frustrating for Wilson Fur, a 24-year-old rookie on the Corn Ferry Tour. Here's this. Comes into the week uh, 148th on the tour, and you got to, after this week, there's going to be a reshuffle, and the, the top guys basically move on, and the bottom guys you know, unless they Monday qualify or get a sponsor's exemption, aren't going to be getting in any more Corn Ferry events, okay? So Wilson Fur, one of those guys on the true bubble, needs to have a good week. Well, here he is near the cut line trying to get to the weekend. If he gets the weekend, that pretty much secures him as, as he's going to be able to continue on the Corn Ferry Tour for the remainder of this season. If he misses the cut, well, he's in trouble, probably doesn't make it. All right, so he just gets done uh, on 18. Now, they started on 10, so the back nine start, finishes on the 18th hole. There is a golf cart there, and they walk off. Now, there's been a cart that took him to the range. There, You know, you're not supposed to get in a cart. You know this, but there is another hole. I believe it was on uh, taking players from the, the seven green to the eight tee at this particular golf course at Lakewood National in Florida. And so there is one exemption of the rule where you can actually get in a cart and go to the spot and you're okay. Well, for you know, mistakenly thinking that, that this was a hole where that was okay, he and his two playing partners get onto this golf cart, which wasn't supposed to be there. And it takes them from the 18 green to one tee. Well, that's a two-shot penalty. The two other guys weren't in the mix, but for Fur, he ends up missing the cut by, you guessed it, two shots. That penalty took him off the cut line. The former Alabama All-American ends up missing the cut because of that two-shot penalty. He was very frustrated about it. It has brought up a lot of controversy on the Corn Ferry Tour, and that is just an absolutely brutal way uh, to uh, you know have this point. 24 years old, trying to make your golf life on the Corn Ferry Tour, which is a tough tour to get on. Um, you know, trying to make his way to the PGA, and man, the you know, we talk about in baseball all the time how tough it is to be a minor league baseball player and all the things that happen and how cruel baseball can be. I, there is not a sport as cruel as golf on this kind of stuff, and that is just a really tough rule for uh, the 24-year-old Wilson Fur, who misses the cut by two shots because of a two-shot penalty uh, incurred after he, he got in a golf cart, which he thought was okay. He didn't think he was, you know breaking a rule but yeah you, you got to know that and uh, that's just a, a part of golf all right uh do want to thank kevin gagax again for joining us here on the show thanks to all of our friends at the scga uh go get yourself a gin make sure you get your handicap and all the perks uh, that come with that are certainly worth it no show next week may the first we'll be back may the 8th as we ramp up to a plenty of u.s open coverage right here on la's radio home for socal golf AM 830. This has been On the Links.